From the book of Ecclesiastes comes this sermon. Now Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament. It comes after Proverbs, which comes after Psalms. It's easy to find. And I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of that book called Ecclesiastes. And I'll read the first seven verses. Guard your steps as you go into the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulse in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you owe, what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. This is the the sum of it, rather fear God. There are some people who probably think you're foolish because you go to church. I mean, that's a big waste of time, isn't it? And if you go to church more than one time a week, I mean, to the dreaded Wednesday night prayer service, they probably um, have you just about a half a step above a plant in intelligence. I mean, folks probably think you're a fool because you go to church. Now, I'm not so, so much concerned about people thinking I'm foolish when I come to church, but I am concerned that God might think me foolish when I come to church. And the Bible makes it very clear that, that we can make fools of ourselves by worshiping God. And He calls the, the worship of some people the sacrifice of fools. And that's a, that's a heavy word. It means, it, it pictures a man who is self-deceived. And so he says in verse 1 that, that they come to worship and they don't even know that they're committing evil. Wait a minute. Is it possible to go to worship and, and commit evil while we're doing it and not even know it? Yes, that's true. As a matter of fact, Amos says that the worship of some folks is nothing more than sin. I don't think that we take this matter of worship seriously enough. Let me tell you something. It's serious business to be a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the word worship means a worshiper is a person who has said, I respect the throne and I identify and respect superiority. Worship is a word of force that compels us and constrains us to an attitude of reverence. And a man who says, I worship, is a man who has confessed that he has found that the only thing he needs in life is found in the life of God. And the word fool is a word that's reserved for the worst kinds of folks. Now you're not going to be too happy with me this morning if you think I'm calling you a fool. I'm going to look for the back door, you know. If I, if I even suspect you think I'm calling you a fool, I mean, I don't even like to use the word. That's a heavy word. Did you know that God only calls seven men in the Bible a fool? Now He calls a lot of folks wicked and evil, and He calls some hypocrites and adulterers, but in the space of the entire Word of God, He only calls seven folks a fool. And yet here in these seven verses, He refers to the term fool three times and it all relates to people, not the worst kinds of folks as we know them, but the kinds of people who come to worship. Foolish worship is, a, is words that are not sincere. Foolish worship is farm and ritual with no heart. Foolish worship is calling Him Lord when He's not. To worship, to offer the sacrifice of fools is to say, I respect the throne, I respect the superiority and the sovereignty of God, and I have found in Him all that I need in life, and then live ignoring Him six days a week. It's what Paul was talking about when he said, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And I believe that when a church loses its power in worship, it loses its power across the board. I believe in the church scattered. I firmly believe that we must get beyond the four walls of the church to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into our various world spheres or we have no reason to exist or no right to preach the gospel. But I also believe in the church gathered. And perhaps the reason why we're so ineffective when we're in the world scattered is because we're so ineffective when we're in the church gathered. The worship of a church that is the sacrifice of fools is the worship of a church that has lost its power in the world. And there are three ingredients to that kind of worship. The sacrifice of fools is worshiping without preparing for it. Now I'm not talking about getting ready for church on Saturday night. That's the way I've always done as a kid. My mother would lay out my clothes on Saturday night. We'd shine our shoes, put a little Griffin liquid shoe polish on them, you know that. And, and uh, I'd take my weekly bath whether I needed it or not. And mother would, would teach the Sunday school lesson to us on Saturday. So church has always started for me on Saturday night. 
still do that. Well, I take a bath a little more often and, <laughs> than on Saturday night, but, but I get ready for church on Saturday night. I'm not even talking about it. What he says is to watch your step on the way to the house of God. Guard your feet. And it's the picture of a man on a tightrope as he inches his way along, watching every movement and every step. Watch your step. And in the Bible, walking relates to our lifestyle, our life. It talks about walking in the Spirit. And so he's saying, watch your life on the way to the house of God. Now, when does church start? When does the worship service start at First Baptist Church? It starts on Monday morning. And all week long, we're making our way to the house of God. If someone were to ask you, when does the worship service start here? You'd probably say, with a call to worship on Sunday morning at 1045. Not in a million miles the worship service here starts not with the call to worship on Sunday morning, but when that alarm call, clock calls you out of slumber on Monday morning. And the worship of the sanctuary is the least important of that act of worship. Now, wait a minute. Before those folks misquote me, I can just hear somebody out watching on television this morning saying, Alice, he finally admitted it. What I've been feeling all along, it's not that important to go to church. I didn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, the corporate worship of God's people has been what God is about since the, the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice. Where'd they learn that? From their parents. Where'd they learn it? From God. And so if you're neg neglectful of corporate worship, you're living in, in cross-currents with the will of God. Didn't say it was not important. But I am saying this, that if your life has not worshipped for the last six days, it sure is going to be hard for you to worship today. And if there has not come through your life a song to God, you're not ready to praise Him this morning. And the worship of the sanctuary is valueless and meaningless save as it is prepared and preceded by the worship of my life. For worship is a man who, a man who worships is a man who is what God meant him to be. I can sing every song in that songbook and never worship. I can recite every creed ever written, never worship. I can flog my body with scourging and never worship. I can bow in long, lonely vigils and never worship. And the sacrifice and the song and the prayer are nothing unless I am in this lonely individual life what God Almighty meant for me to be. And then my whole life worships. You know what happens when you come to the sanctuary of God without having watched your step through the week? You know what happens? You're bringing to God an unholy sacrifice. Just think of that. Bringing into the presence of a thrice holy God an unholy sacrifice. You think God accepts that? Hmm, not on your life. I don't think we 
realize or remember that when we come to God's house, we're coming into the presence of a thrice holy God. And when Moses remembered that, he took off his shoes because the very ground where he sensed God was holy. And so Simon Peter stood to preach at Pentecost and he preached a sermon. I've read that sermon. It's very short, shorter than mine. Well, anybody's is shorter than mine. I know what you... He preached that sermon and God's Spirit anointed that sermon and God in power came down upon that place and thousands were saved. Now, what was different about that sermon? Well, these men had spent 10 days getting right with God before the sermon. I just wonder what it would be like if we suddenly closed the doors of the church and locked them and put a sign up saying, won't be open again, no worship service for 10 days. And everybody, I'm talking about everybody, who names the name of First Baptist as his preference, if everybody in our church for 10 days just got right with God, I mean ask for forgiveness where they'd hurt, make re reconciliation where it was necessary, what if everybody in this church balcony, auditorium floor choir spent 10 days getting right with God? You know what had happened? It would literally change this community forever. I mean, what if we spent 10 hours getting ready for God? Now, I got prepared for this day. Got my suit pressed, got my shirt washed and ironed, got starch in the collar, put on a little cologne this morning so I'd smell good. You know why? Because I, I was aware that I was coming into your presence and I didn't want to offend you. I got my banaka. Folks make fun of me because I use banaka, you know. I mean, one guy watching on television, true story, thought it was a ritual that we went through when I put, the, put this to my tongue on Sunday morning. You know, why I get, you know why I do this? Because I don't want to offend you. I'm sensitive that I'm coming into your presence and I don't want to offend you. And yet we saunter toward the altar and as someone said, we lounge there in the presence of a holy God. How many of you prepared for His presence? How many of you even thought about the fact that you might be offensive as you came into the presence of a thrice holy God? If you come to worship without preparing your heart for it, you're offering the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools is not only worship that without preparing for it, it's worship without listening to it. And so he says, when you draw near, draw near to listen. Listen to what? The preacher's sermon? Well, not really. Because really the preacher's, preacher's just a mouthpiece. He's just an instrument that God has chosen. Not, not really that. But, but to listen to God. Sometimes I meet people on the street, especially of late, and they'll say, hey, I saw you on television. I heard your sermon. It's none of your business what they said about it. But they say, we heard your sermon. We heard you preach. They'll say, we heard you preach yesterday. Saw you on television. That's great. You know what I sometimes want to say? Did you hear God? You'd think that when people came to worship, they would expect to, to have an encounter with God. You'd expect that. You know, if they came to church, they would expect to have an encounter with God. But, but from the expression of some people on some people's faces, I, I wonder if they do. 
Now, God forbid that I judge anybody on any account, but some of the expressions I see on Sunday are a cause of tremendous amazement and heartache to me. Any preacher sits here and looks out over the congregation or stands in a pulpit and looks out over the congregation will see these expressions. There's frozen face. I mean, he's trapped. He's suffering from, from religious claustrophobia. He, the four walls are just squeezing him in and he's going to be there till the dreaded hour of 12 regardless. There's nothing can do about it. And, and, and there's frowning face. He's there, but he's refused to adopt any attitude except I'm bored stiff. And there's far away face. He's there, but he's not there. He, he's here, but he's not here. He's there too. And he's thinking about those financial responsibilities and those do, domestic, that domestic dilemma. And he's counting the pews in the middle section. He's trying to figure out how many folks he thinks are here. And he counts the number of squares above the choir loft. The number of squares in the choir loft. He just, he, he, he's far away places just beckon to this guy. Oh, what a source of amazement and heartache. Do you want to know if you can tell, you want to know how you can tell that worship affects you, affected your life? When you leave, do you find yourself saying, oh, God spoke to me today. God spoke. And so Jacob was on his way out of town, running from his brother Esau, and he came out in the desert that night, and he took a rock and laid his head on it. And that night he saw that vision of angels descending from heaven and ascending on that ladder. And the next morning he got up and spoke the most pathetic statement in the Old Testament, perhaps, when he said, Surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. When you leave in the morning when you worship, do you find yourself saying, Oh, God was there and He spoke to me. How can you measure what happens in the dynamic of worship? You measure it by what change it makes in your life. The, the measure of what happens in a, in a, in a group meeting does, is, not, is not determined while that, that meeting is going on, but after it's been dismissed. Are you different, listen to me folks, if you leave the worship of God, in the, leave the sanctuary worship, and your life is no different, you have offered the sacrifice of fools. And Vance Havner says, when I see the average um, churchgoer sauntering out of the worship service looking like he did when he went in, I am driven to serious contemplation and I say to myself, that sermon listener is saying under his breath, let's accept this as information and get out of here. I've been to church before where the Spirit of God would be so present and so evident that you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, haven't you? Shake your head if you have. You, know, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. And I've been in services where the preacher would get up to preach 
and the Spirit of God would be so great among us that He wouldn't even have to preach. I've been in services where He just gave an invitation. When I was a kid, I went to a service where a guy got up to preach and halfway through the sermon, people were crying out as to how to be saved. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife of the presence of God. Let me tell you what. That same God speaks and that same God acts and that same God hears and that same God has something to say to us this morning. How many times have you been to church? Why, we've had thousands of sermons preached to us and the amazing thing is that with all of the preaching we've heard in our lifetime, our lives remain basically the same. And even though we've grown up under preaching, we still have a primary child's faith. And it breaks my heart because it says something about the preacher and it says something about his preaching, but it also says something about you. Worship of the, which is the sacrifice of fools is worshiping without listening to it. Come to the last. Not only is it worshiping without preparing for it, worshiping without listening to it, it's worshiping without obeying it. I want to read the verses. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow, not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Don't say, hey, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have promised that. You can't say that. You can't take it back, he says. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? There are two things that God says in that, two judgments that God has there. One is that we make vows and we're late paying them. When are you going to do what you promised God you would do? I have a house over in Fort Worth that I've got leased out. Guy's been real good paying the payments on that thing. The payments are due the 15th. October's rent money hadn't come in. I go in there every, every day. I hear the mailman come. I go over there to pick up my check from Fort Worth. It's not there. I, maybe it'll come Monday. Now, I know he'll probably pay me, but it bothers me that he's late. What it says to me is that he's thinking, well, you know, I'll pay you when I get ready. I'll pay you when I get the money. I'll pay you when I want to pay you. It it says to me that, you know, that I'm not, you know, what about respecting the the covenant, the contract? What about the respecting me? It's my house. I'm having to pay for it. When are you going to pay what you told God you'd pay? When are you going to do what you told God you'd do? Now, I imagine God knows that one day you'll get around to it, but won't you imagine that what He's thinking is, well, sure doesn't, sure doesn't say much for their respect of me. It's always tomorrow, isn't it? I'm going to begin tithing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start witnessing for Christ. I'm getting old, but I can do it. I'm going to do it one of these days. Tomorrow night, I'll be at visitation. It's always tomorrow. When are you going to do what God, what you promised God you would do? And the second thing that bothers God is that we make vows we don't keep. 
broken vows. Gypsy Smith was an English evangelist. He changed the evangelical world. He was raised by gypsies. That's why they called him Gypsy Smith. He lived in poverty. He grew up in London, in the slums. He was saved in a William Booth service, William Booth founder of the Salvation Army. Gypsy Smith could say the most amazing things. Gypsy Smith said, I imagine that the angels tremble to the tips of their beings when they see the broken promises that we lay at the feet of God. I imagine they do. All these promises we've made to God, we've never kept. I went out to the hospital, Brian Memorial Hospital one day, talked to a guy out there. He is sick, real ill. While we were there in the hospital, we prayed together. He made me some, he made God some promises in my presence and me some promises as pastor. He's never kept. He forgot about it when he got out of the hospital. When are you going to do what you promised God you would do? What about all these promises you've broken? Now I want to say two things about that and then I'm going to quit. We better be careful what we vow to God. A promise to God is a covenant, a contract. A vow is a covenant, it's a contract. We better be careful what we promise God because God takes us seriously. And what God says in His Word is that we're going to be accountable for every idle word. The word idle means a careless word. You know where the most, most idle words are spoken? You know where most idle words are spoken? In the church. We're going to give an account for every meaningless word. You know where they're spoken most? In the church. What about all those songs you sing and I sing? R.G. Lee said a guy, lady got up in his congregation one morning and sang, I love to tell the story of Jesus and His love, of Jesus and His glory. Now R.G. Lee could do it. I mean, he, he could do this. He went up to her after the service and he said, Why did you lie this morning? She said, Well, I beg your pardon. He said, well, why did you lie this morning? You got up there and you sang, I love to tell the story of Jesus and His love. He says, as far as I know, I've been your pastor for 20 years. As far as I know, I've never seen you. I've never known of you ever telling the story. And we sing, have thine own way, Lord. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Or, do you really mean that? And do I? Because one of these days, I'm going to give an account to God for that promise. Every idle word. We better be careful what we vow to God. I know what you think. Well, I'll never make another promise. Well, my daddy one time, he, he's the greatest guy I know. I'm afraid sometime you think my daddy was terrible. Greatest guy I know. He never, would, he never would receive the Lord's Supper. He'd stay away from church. He said, well, I'm not worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. I said, neither am I. Why don't you get worthy? You know, get where you can take it. Instead of staying away, Instead of making vows you don't keep, saying, well, I'm never going to make a vow, why don't you just begin to make those you keep? Keep them. Pay them. 
Better be careful how we vow to God. Second, every vow we make, it ought to be voluntary. It ought to be voluntary. Now watch this. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 23, God says, Be careful to pay everything that comes from your mouth. That is, the vow you have voluntarily made to God. I mean, God doesn't twist your arm, does He? Now occasionally, we have a little wrestling match over in the den of the parsonage. Don't break any furniture or anything. Just, my little girl and I like to wrestle. And we get out in the floor and we'll just wrestle up a storm. And, and so, you know, and I, I, I'll get the scissor locks on her. I get her between my legs here and get the clamps around. And man, I can just squeeze the air. I, when I get tired of wrestling, I get the scissor locks. When I get her in the scissor locks, I mean, I get all kinds of promises. <laughs> I say, well, now, Michelle, what are we going to do here? Are you going to promise you won't do Yeah, I promise, Dad, let me out of here. Get me up, let me up. I promise. And she'll promise the moon. But I know that, you know, she's not going to do that. And I don't expect her to. She made that vow in the scissor lock. <laughs> That's the difference. I've never seen God get you in a scissor lock or hammer lock and squeeze anything out of you. Never have, nor me. I mean, he just doesn't do that. He uncoerces. He doesn't get me my arm behind my back, start drawing up on me, twisting, and saying, okay, make this promise, young man, and I make it. He doesn't do that. He just is that God of love, and, and we come into His presence, and we make all these vows voluntarily. Then we break them. Now, can I ask you a serious question, my friend? Have you made a vow to God you're late in keeping? Have you made a vow to God you've broken? Well, what's the summation of all of it? Summation of all of it. As a matter of fact, if you want a good definition of the word worship, it's this. Just fear God. That's what he said. At the end of my text, he said, just fear God. Now, that's not cringing terror. It's reverential awe and respect. If you live your life in reverential respect of God and reverential awe of God, then your life is a life of worship. It's not the sacrifice of fools. Alfred Smith, when he was running for president of the United States, he was governor of New York. They had his banquet in honor of him this week. Alfred Smith, was, um, he was a kind of an austere and sophisticated man, so he didn't like a lot of hoopla. But they had a, a labor union was having a big uh, uh, gathering uh, for, for Alfred Smith in Chicago while he was running for president. So the governor of New York went to, uh, went to Chicago for the labor union banquet, and everybody was in, drunk, inebriated, and they were just... They were just, you know, they, they really didn't care about Alfred Smith except in a kind of a inebriated way, kind of in, in a jocular way. I mean, they just kind of, you know, they were, they were kind of curious about him. And when the, when the uh, MC got up to introduce Alfred Smith, he said, Hey, guys, I want to introduce to you a good old guy, Al Smith. And Al, Alfred E. Smith got up. He said, Gentlemen... When I was a little boy living in New York City, my father took me on a parade, to a parade. We went down, down on Broadway. 
And he said, I was having a good time. I was just dancing around, just having a great time, just as a boy would do, and holding on my father's finger. And all of a sudden, he said, I felt my father grip my hand as though some deep thrill ran through his body. And he kind of shook me and he said, Alfred, Alfred, get serious. Take off your hat. Take off your cap. The governor of New York is passing by. And Alfred Smith said, Gentlemen, the governor of New York bids you good night and walked out. I'd left those people there to contemplate that they had come into the presence of a very strong and sophisticated and important individual without the right kind of respect. Governor, gentlemen, the governor of New York bids you good night. Do you fear God? Do you have that kind of reverential respect that would bow, in, listen, that would bow into His presence right now and say, Oh God, You are the throne. You are the superior. You are all I need in life. I bow in Your presence. And whatever He emotes from you or draws from you by His love and grace, in vow you make, be sure that you can keep pray together. Now, Father, it's time to make promises. And I pray, God, that we'll not cringe in fear in promising, but that we'll just do what you want us to do, you lead us to do. And I pray that we'll not offer this morning the sacrifice of fools. Oh, Spirit of God, stir our hearts. Bring us to an awareness of what we are, where we are, how we are. And oh, God, I pray that we'll get right with you today. Get right with you today. Not bring an unholy life to this moment, to this altar. I pray you'll speak to us now in Jesus' name. Now there are three invitations. These invitations are these. Listen. The first invitation is for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God gave His Son. Jesus died for your sin. He wants to cleanse sin away. He wants to come into your life. He offers you the free gift of His eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We invite you to come this morning to say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. Won't you do that? Right now, would you confess Him as your Savior? Right now. Would you come publicly? to declare your faith in Him. The second invitation is for you to come and place your life in the church. When are you going to do what God wants you to do? When are you going to finally get around to doing it? 
The third invitation is for you to come to rededicate your life. You've been lounging on the altar. God is not that important to you. You want to get back with God. Let's do it today. So while we stand, while our choir sings, we invite you to come. Come right on the first word while we stand.